History is made in Britain with the appointment of Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister. Not only is he the first person of colour to take the job, he's the first non-Christian. Sunak was born in the UK of Indian parents. So what does his rise say about multi-faith and multicultural Britain and about the political power of the South Asian diaspora? Let's explore these questions first with Professor Gurhapal Singh of London University's School of Oriental and African Studies. Well, Rishi Sunak is a practising Hindu and he ethnically is of Punjabi background, migrant family from East Africa, though he himself is born in the UK. It's important to note that religion plays a crucial part in his life. And he has said that it gives him faith and strength, and it's important in his outlook. So his religious identity is very important to Rishi Sunak and part of his makeup and part of his drive, I think. And when he was first elected to the House of Commons only seven years ago, we saw a very concrete sign of how important that was. What happened at his swearing in? I understand that when asked to take the oath, he has taken that on the text of the Bhagavad Gita, the classical Sanskrit Hindu text of 700 verses of scriptures and poetry. Do you think, given the great diversity of the British South Asian community, being the first Hindu prime minister, being the first prime minister of colour, is a unifying thing? Yes, the South Asian community in the UK is quite diverse. The largest element religiously is the Muslim population. Hindus make up about a million at the moment, and Sikhs are significantly less. They are the same population as the Jewish population, around three or 400,000. Religious identity as a factor in unification it's not necessarily a marker that one would look for because they're, the South Asian communities of the UK are quite complex. Religion has, as we know, in South Asia and in the UK, uh, among South Asians, has been a source of division rather than a source of cohesion. The fact that Rishi Sunak is a Hindu should not be an issue of division, but rather a recognition that somebody of whatever background can actually make it to being a prime minister. Mm -hmm. Moreover, in a way, the fact that he is a Hindu, it doesn't mean that this would lead to an identification in any way with state or public policies. UK is is increasingly becoming a non-religious society in the census of 2011, nearly a quarter of the population did not report any religion whatsoever. So I think whilst personal identification of religious identity is important, its public articulation is probably not that significant. And the fact that Rishi Sunak is a Hindu is unlikely to hopefully complicate relations with other South Asians of other religions, um, whether they're Muslim, Sikhs, Hindus or Christians. Well, that is a very, very important point, Professor Singh, because as you know, India is the UK's biggest trading partner. It's, I guess, in a way, one of the UK's major 
cultural partners, and there has been some uh, interreligious tension in India. Could a Hindu Prime Minister of Britain somehow work with the Hindu Prime Minister of India to um, develop more religious comedy? That's an interesting point. India and the UK have a, a good trading relationship, and the current government is working towards a free trade deal to be announced very shortly. Religious identity as a basis of negotiating between leaders of governments rarely is significant in international relations. And I don't think Rishi Sunak will make it a priority, mainly because the government in India, led by Narendra Modi, has a not too positive view of the United Kingdom and its past. Moreover, it does not want governments overseas, whether they're UK, USA or Australia, to interfere in its internal agenda. So whilst there might be some degree of fraternity and comity because Rishi Sunak um, is of Indian ethnic origin and a Hindu by religious background, I do not see that in any way determining the crucial relationship between India and the United Kingdom. Mm. How do you think the rise of Rishi Sunak in this historic accession to the prime ministership fits with the new king's vision of a multi-faith Britain? Again, that's a very interesting perspective. King Charles has always been a more pro, more active in promoting the interests of minority religious communities in Britain. As a Prince Charles was often seen visiting Gurdwaras, mosques and temples. And I have written on this, he has a very close relationship with the Sikh community in particular. So I think the election of a non-Christian prime minister and the elevation of Prince Charles to King Charles certainly creates a new dynamic in terms of faith traditions in British society in the foreseeable future. We have the prospect of the hegemony or the preponderance of Christianity perhaps not having that same salience that it had during the time of Queen Elizabeth II. Charles is much more open to interreligious dialogue to accommodation of religious diversity and non-faith peoples in the United Kingdom. Yes, just finally, uh, Professor Singh, how do you think uh, old Britain, as it were, will deal with this groundbreaking new development, having a prime minister of colour, a non-Christian prime minister? Old Britain has been very much in the political limelight since Brexit and identified with the policies to some extent that have led to the withdrawal from the European Union and the rise of nationalist politics against the secular trends, which are for increased diversity, religious pluralism, and the decline of religion generally. So it's interesting scenario whether those values then go on to create a, some sort of backlash or a reaction to the developments that are taking place in wider society, or whether they adapt and change to the new Britain that is emerging and is reflected in, in the election of Rishi Sunak. Because the election of Rishi Sunak is not simply the response of a political party in a crisis which cannot manage 
of financial situation, I think it's much more emblematic of the arrival of ethnic minorities as equal peoples and as being represented much more broadly in public life. Professor Gurhapal Singh, he's Emeritus Professor at the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London. He was previously the Deputy Director of the Religions and Development Research Programme. Thank you for joining us on the Religion and Ethics Report, Professor. Thank you. And now let's hear from Dr. Edward Anderson of Northumbria University and the Centre of South Asian Studies at Cambridge University. When Rishi Sunak was born in 1980, there wasn't a single non-white MP in the House of Commons. That milestone wasn't actually achieved until 1987 with the election of four ethnic minority Labour MPs. So this is a very important moment. The memory of a completely white House of Commons is still there for a large proportion of the country. But also Sunak's heritage can't just be reduced to ethnicity and religion. A lot of people, including lots of members of the Indian diaspora, have been quite quick to point out that this rise to power isn't quite the break from the status quo that it might appear. So he was educated at Winchester, which is one of the country's most elite private schools. He then went on to Oxford, where the majority of British prime ministers studied. He's also a multimillionaire banker, hedge funder, probably easily the richest MP in the the House of Commons. He's got a billionaire father-in-law. And politically, his approach, I suppose, is in a form of orthodox conservatism. He's gone along with this Tory culture war, which often decries anti-racism as woke nonsense. He's also you know, supported the government's fiercely anti-immigrant policies. You know, you'll hear a lot of people mm. say that in spite of his ethnicity, it's not going to have a material effect. But it's undeniable that a lot of people see Sunak's rise to Prime Minister as symbolically very, very important. It's a huge milestone. Yes, but if you didn't know his name and you didn't see him, you only heard him, you might think he was another rather pucker, upper-class Englishman. Does his trajectory to the top of British politics say something, though, about the changing demographics of Britain's South Asian community? You're an expert in the South Asian community. What does it say about that trajectory? His background as an East African Asian is perhaps particularly important. I mean, so many of people from that community have gone on to great success, economic success. You know, that's very, very visible as well. And that's now being reflected in political power, too. But he, you know, obviously has a very privileged background, which does not you know, reflect the lived experiences of the majority of British Asians. Mm. I was looking at some interesting data that was conducted actually in the United States at the Carnegie Endowment, uh, one of the authors, Devesh Kapoor, and he pointed out, though, that the British Indian community had been moving rightward. Uh, About a third of British Indians now consider themselves strong Conservative Party supporters, fewer than Labour has, Mm. but nonetheless a sizeable minority... That's very true. I mean, there has been a shift, particularly, I'd say, since 2010. More and more ethnic minorities, and particularly Indians, are more likely to vote for the Conservative Party. You know, historically, almost all ethnic minority communities in Britain, their votes could be pretty much taken as given to the Labour Party for a wide range of reasons. But I think it's worth noting the majority still, as you say, support Labour. And, you know, when you look at the polls right now, 
it suggests that Labour are on course for a landslide. So perhaps some of those people that have lent their support to the Conservative Party in recent years may go in the other direction. You've done a lot of your own very in-depth research in this area. What have you found about, for example, you know, a strong tradition of social conservatism, family values conservatism uh, among British Indian voters, uh, especially Hindu and Christian Indian voters? In, in certain ways, you know, a lot of support for the Labour Party historically was based upon the Labour Party being seen as less racist, let's say, than the Conservative Party and certainly more uh, liberal in terms of immigration. That's reflected in the fact that there historically were and continue to be many more uh, Labour MPs from ethnic minorities than in the Conservative Party. But in certain ways, Certain immigrant communities may feel a closer fit with the Conservative Party. That does reflect a kind of social conservatism. It reflects the importance of entrepreneurialism, of conservatives being seen as the kind of supporters of the right fit for you know, small business owners and so on. So there has definitely been that shift in, in recent years. Yeah. You, you point out that certainly when it comes to raw numbers, Labour may have more minority black and minority ethnic MPs than the Tories. But when it comes to profile, it would be hard to surpass the record of the Tories of the last 10 years. I'm just looking at 10 names here. The overwhelming majority of them either South Asian or of Afro-British background. Why have the Tories done so well, as it were, in giving profile and giving power to ethnic minorities? This is an interesting question. It's, it's not necessarily one for which there's a straightforward answer. It is important to contextualise it. The Conservative Party has been very poor in terms of representation of minorities. And actually, right now, in the House of Commons today, just 6% of Conservative MPs are people of colour, whereas for Labour, that figure is getting on for 20%. And that partly reflects the constituencies that they represent. So Labour tend to do best in urban inner city constituencies with very diverse voters, whereas for the Conservatives, the opposite is the case, more rural suburban constituencies that are very white. But yes, that kind of relatively large number of, of ethnic minority MPs for the Labour Party isn't really represented much in the shadow cabinet, although there are people like David Lammy, Rosina Allen Khan, who are you know important figures. I think some of those Labour ethnic minority MPs are on the left of the party, and they've been kind of sidelined under Keir Starmer because they were big supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. But yeah, I think asking why Labour's ethnic minority MPs have not risen to the heights of those in the Conservative Party is a very legitimate and important question. I mean, it is extremely striking to see some of those so-called great officers of state, you know, those very mo the senior most cabinet ministers have all been occupied by black and Asian MPs in recent years. And that is very significant. Just finally, uh, Edward, you study demographics very, very closely Despite the history-making nature of Rishi Sunak becoming Prime Minister, how is it likely to be received in the broader British community? Because you can't assume that black Britons, you can't assume that East Asian Britons, you can't assume that uh, Britons from a Middle East background will necessarily see something of this themselves in Rishi Sunak. What do you think the broader reception might be? 
I think that a lot of people will see it as important to have a, a prime minister who is not white. That is significant. But, you know, it's very, very widely known that Rishi Sunak is extremely privileged. You know, this nearly scuppered his political career quite recently, the revelations about his enormous wealth. I mean, it's also very clear that the experience, the kind of access to economic success and political power is different for various different um, ethnic minorities in Britain. You know, it's important not to essentialise because different people's experiences are very, very different indeed. And as we enter a, a period with this extreme cost of living crisis, inevitably, the people that are going to be suffering the most well, many of them will be people of colour. And so the fact that there's a, a prime minister of Indian origin in power is perhaps not going to be much solace to them. Mm. But I do think it is significant symbolically. It's a historic moment. Dr Edward Anderson of Northumbria University and the Cambridge University Centre of South Asian Studies. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.